Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bible and go with me to Mark chapter number 13, the book of Mark and chapter number 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word, and we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter 13 this morning, and if you found your place and if you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to pick up in verse number 9. Mark chapter 13, verse 9, and we're going to read down to verse number 13. So Mark 13, verse 9 to 13. Jesus here is in his final recorded sermon. He is giving to the disciples as he is preparing them for what is to come. He has said several things to them already in this passage. Namely this, that as the end approaches, that they can live with confidence. That's what he taught us at the beginning of this text. That they can live with discernment. That's what he taught us in the middle here. And then we come to today that they must live in the final days with courage. Courage. Courage is what is needed to be able to navigate the day and age in which we live. There is a brand of Christianity that even the world would commend. It's a brand of Christianity that speaks about being blessed by God, being successful, loving, caring, praying. But it never speaks of sin. Never speaks of righteousness. Never speaks of judgment. Never speaks of the cross. So the reason why many people in the world can talk wonderful things about Jesus is simply because they have not taken the time to know Him. If they understood Him, if they understood the things He said, then they, like the people in Jesus' day, they would reject Him as well. This is what Jesus is teaching His disciples here. What Jesus loves, the world hates. What the world loves, Jesus hates. It's the basic premise. And if we love Jesus, we'll love what Jesus loves. We'll live the way Jesus calls us to live. And as a result, that will put us at odds with the world in which we live in. To be a friend of Jesus means we will be treated the same way that Jesus was treated in this world. The servant is not greater than the master. If they hated the master, they'll hate the servant. And if you're a servant of his, then they will hate you too. So how should we respond to that? And that's what Jesus is helping his disciples understand. We must respond to that with courage. Look at verse 9. Take heed to yourselves... For they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, 
You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak. Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death. And the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents. And shall cause them to be put to death. But ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. Give us the courage, the resolve, the endurance, the resilience we need. That, that only comes from knowing you. Fill our hearts with this. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Recently, a little girl in our church with the help of her parents, decided to write me a letter. The letter was given to me by our secretaries. I opened the letter. The letter said, Pastor, what do you do when you are scared? And when you pray, but your prayers don't work, what do you do? What do you do when you're scared? This is one of the, the beautiful things about children. Children have no inhibition. They, they, they just say whatever comes to their mind and they say it normally exactly how it comes to their mind. What do you do when you're scared and your prayers don't work? Well, first of all, our prayers work. We know God hears us and answers our prayers. But what she was communicating is something that if we were honest, we all feel. Sometimes we get scared. And sometimes we feel as if when we pray about our fears that God is not hearing us. He isn't listening. Our prayers aren't working. This is what's happening in the text here. The disciples, Jesus is telling them, you are going to be delivered to councils, to kings. You're going to be beaten. You're going, you're going to lose your life. You're going to be betrayed. The closest people to you will betray you. They will hurt you. They will, they will turn their backs on you. What Jesus is talking about was something that it was, a, was a reality for the disciples. They were handed over to courts. They were beaten in synagogues. They were flogged. They were stripped. They were arrested. They were imprisoned. You read into the book of Acts and you, you don't have to go but four chapters into the book and you will find that this was the reality that they faced. Peter, John, James, all of them arrested, beaten, 
imprisoned, sentenced to not say another word about this one named Jesus. Stephen is stoned and killed. James beheaded. John boiled alive. Peter crucified upside down. Thomas ran to northern Africa, arrested, beaten, crucified, ran through with spears. And so while verses like this sound surreal to you and me, that you and I would be beaten because we came to church today, or we would be arrested on our, on our way home, while it's surreal to us, it was the reality that the disciples lived with. And it is also the reality that many millions of our brothers and sisters in the world experience. And it's certainly true that it's millions throughout church history. Read the famous Fox's Book of Martyrs to learn of the great price that many people have paid to do what we are freely doing today. In fact, I, I commend that book to you. If you've never read it, you should find it. John Fox, F-O-X-E, John Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the stories of faithful believers who sealed their witness with their blood. And Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he is telling them that they will be brought before governors, kings, courts for his name's sake. They not only face resentment and persecution from unbelieving Jews, but they faced it from Gentiles as well. They are hated by everyone. For the sake of Christ. And what Jesus is telling them is, is he is saying, don't worry, because in that moment, have courage, because in that moment, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will be with you, he will be your helper in that moment. You need, you need to understand this. Why is Jesus telling them in that moment of difficulty, in that moment of persecution, in that moment of resentment and hatement, the Holy Spirit will guide you? Why is he telling them that? Well, he is telling them that mostly because you must remember these disciples are uneducated men. They don't know what to say. This is not a situation that they have faced before. So Jesus is encouraging them. That in this opposition to which they had never been uh, uh, privy to before, and, and, and in this moment where they would be tempted to be intimidated by the intellect of counselors and kings and governors and rulers, Jesus is reminding them that those who profess themselves to be wise are actually fools. And those who realize that real wisdom and real knowledge and real truth is found in Christ and Christ alone, those individuals are truly wise. Mark 13, you will be hated. You will be hated on the account that you love me. You will be resented for this. Because you follow me. You will be persecuted because of this. 
because you are being obedient to me. So the, the main point is very simple. Suffering for the sake of Christ is a certainty for us as Christians. Suffering for the sake of Christ, suffering for obedience to God, suffering for obedience to the Word of God, for the leading of the Spirit of God in our lives, suffering for this is a certainty. So we must decide right now that when that suffering comes, that we will be courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That's what he's telling Joshua in the book of Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. God goes with you. God goes before you. So let's look at this. How, how, how can we find this courage in our time of suffering? Well, notice first. Th notice the reason we suffer. Look at verse 9. Take heed unto yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, to, to synagogues. You'll be beaten. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. Underline that phrase. For my sake. The second, the second clause. And for a testimony against them. So let's take them both. First, the reason we suffer is because we acknowledge who Christ is. It's for the name of Christ. Again, down in verse number 13, look at it. And ye shall be hated of all men. Notice the verse. For my name's sake. For my name's sake. So they will be hated, not simply because they are disruptive in the culture, not simply because they're agitators in society. No, 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 no. They, they, they are not hated because they're offensive. They're hated for the name of Christ. For my name's sake, they are hated. You ever, you ever heard someone say, uh, now don't take this offensively, but... And how many of you know when somebody says something like that, whatever they're about to say next is offensive, right? If someone says to you, hey, don't take this personal, but whatever comes next... How many of you know this? It is very personal, yes? Don't take this personal, but I just don't like you. <laughs> How do I not take that personal? So said, this, is, this is not offense for offense's sake. The Christians are not walking around trying to be offensive. Christians are not walking around trying to be disruptive. Christians are not walking around trying to be agitators to the culture, just against everything, just offensive, just, just coming at anyone and everyone for whatever they do. No, 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 no. For my name's sake, for the name of Christ, for what we believe about Christ, because we believe that Christ is exactly who Christ said he was. That he is the son of the living God. That he is the only God. That he is the only way 
to God and that if you do not know Jesus Christ, then you cannot know God and you will not have your sin forgiven and you will spend the rest of your days here in judgment and when you die on this earth, you will spend all of eternity in judgment, separated from God in hell because that is the message of Christ. They crucified Christ because of what he said about himself. The son of the living God. If you've heard me, you've heard the father. If you know me, you know God. You cannot get to God unless you have believed in me. I am the way, the truth, the life, the door. There's no man who comes to God except through me. The name of Christ is one of the reasons for why we suffer. But notice this, there's a, there's a second clause here. It says this, and for a testimony against them. You see that clause? So hated for what reason? For the, for the name of Christ and because Christ stands in opposition to them. He exposes them. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And people who are running around in darkness hate the light. Emery has this thing that she'll do now whenever you wake her up in the morning. You'll pull back the curtain and she'll go, ah, oh, it's bright. But she's not really covering her face. She's just looking right through her hands. She isn't, ah, oh, it's bright. It's bright. And people who live in darkness hate the light. Why? Because the light exposes the darkness. That is why. Jesus came along and he exposed the darkness. He exposed the world, the flesh, the devil. He exposed its sin. He exposed their self-indulgence. He, he exposed that they were in fact living as gods unto themselves. He exposed the reality that although they, although they pretended to be religious, they were in fact full of dead men's bones. There was no life there. God was not there. They had taken the house of God and they had turned it into a den of thieves for their own living. And Jesus came along and Jesus shined a light on that. And they hated Christ because of it. You remember the very beginning? You remember Adam and Eve's first two sons, Cain and Abel? How many of you remember them? Why does Cain kill Abel? Cain kills Abel because his own deeds, his own evil intention, his own evil action, his own self-righteousness, his own rejection of the word of God, because it was exposed by his brother's righteous deeds. He hates his brother because his brother is doing right and he is doing wrong. And when his brother does right, it reveals the wrongdoing that he is doing. And so he hates Abel because of it. He picks up the rock and he kills him, the Bible teaches us. So all the way to the beginning, there's this antagonism toward righteousness. It's people who live right expose those who are choosing to live wrong. Has this not been the case for you? You live with a life of integrity. You live and you will not compromise your values. You live according to a standard that the Lord has given to us in his word. 
You live according to the way. You use your body according to the way in which God in his word has called us to use our body, called us to think, caused us to look at. When you, when you find yourself obedient to the word of God, all of those who are disobedient to the word of God around you, man, they have revile, they have contempt, they have hatred toward you. Why? Because your righteousness is exposing their sin. Your integrity exposes their lies. Your resolve exposes their lack of resolve, their fearfulness. This is what happens. You decide to do right in the office and everybody else does wrong. Guess who the one they don't like will be? It will be you. You know why? Because you're doing right and they're doing wrong. And so they don't like you as a result. But remind yourself of this, friend. It's not you that they're really mad at. It's God they're really mad at. They're just not going to take it out on God, but they'll take it out on you. They won't talk about him, but they'll talk about you. They won't malign him, but they'll malign you. The reasons we suffer, the name of Christ. But notice this, when we suffer, watch. Reasons we suffer. Look at verse 10. The gospel must first be published among the nations. The reasons we suffer, the name of Christ, the reason we suffer, let her be there, the nations will be converted. The nations will be converted. You, you remember how this whole conversation started? The whole conversation started with the disciples saying to Jesus, look at these buildings, no one can knock them down. Look, look at this city, no one can overrun it. Look how strong we are, look how big we are, look, look how imposable we are. No, nothing can overrun us. And Jesus said, that's exactly why you will be overran. So that way you will flee, you will run. And that's precisely what happened. Rome came in in 70 AD and off the disciples and all the Christians went. They spread all around the Roman Empire. And taking the message of Jesus with them. Running and preaching Christ and him crucified. All throughout the Middle East up into Turkey and in this area, across into northern Africa, down into the southern part of Africa. All, all around that area of the world, the disciples went to the bottom of Europe. The disciples went taking the message of Jesus with them along the way. And Jesus is saying, this is why this must happen. It must happen so that all the nations will be converted. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 10. The gospel must First be published among, and I want you to circle these two words, all nations. You see those two words? All nations. It's not meant for one people. It's meant for all nations. You think of it, even today we sit here in the United States of America and we preach the message of Jesus. We sing the praises of Jesus. We think of the wonderful work of Jesus as a result of what happened in this moment of the disciples choosing to be courageous instead of responding to suffering and persecution and hard times with fear. 
You think there was even a thought in the disciples' mind that we would be sitting in 2022, Long Beach, California, preaching the message of Jesus, praising the name of Jesus? Of course they had no forethought of that. What were they doing in the moment? They were simply responding with courage in the moment. They were obedient to God in the moment. And as a result of this, the plan of God unfurled. The blessings of God followed even though they went through difficulty and hardship. It speaks about two things about God. First, the plan of God. Second, the patience of God. You, you notice God wants all men everywhere to be saved. That's what he wants. He wants all the nations to hear. He wants all the nations to hear. And he doesn't want just one nation to hear. He doesn't want just Israel to be saved. He wants all the nations to be saved. He doesn't just want Americans to be saved. He wants all the nations to be saved. He doesn't just want wealthy people to be saved. He doesn't just want poor people to be saved. He wants them all to be saved. So reasons we suffer. Number two, notice this, the, the ways we suffer. So the, the immediate application here, notice. They'll deliver you up to councils, to synagogues. You'll be beaten. You'll be brought before rulers and kings. Look at verse 11. They'll lead you. They'll deliver you. So the, there's, there's probably not much immediate application here. It's, it's probably not likely that they'll come to your office on Tuesday handcuff you, drag you downtown, beat you by, you know, a, a bunch of jurors from the city, beat you up, imprison you, leave you there because you're a Christian. That's probably not going to happen to you. So, so what is the application, though? Well, there's three layers of application. There's, there's three layers of persecution that you'll find in the Bible. Here they are. Write them down. Number one, they'll personally revile you. So, uh, to see this, walk forward in your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. So Mark 13 is the last sermon recorded from Jesus. Mark 5 is the first sermon recorded for Jesus. And you're going to find your place in Ma Matthew 5 in verse number 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 10. So simply because they aren't going to drag you to a council tomorrow, imprison you, then hang you in the center of town, does not mean that you or I do not suffer in some ways as it relates for standing for our faith. Of course we do. And notice the ways. Look at verse 11. Or I'm sorry, look at verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall, notice, revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So in this text, Jesus is showing you three ways which you and I suffer persecution in our day. He says men will revile you. He says they will persecute you. He says they will say things about you 
falsely. So in, in doing this, Jesus is giving us three understandings of the way in which we suffer persecution in our day. Notice first, there's personal insults. They will revile you. They'll mock you. They'll ridicule you. They'll call you names. They ostracize you. Oh, it's just a, oh, she, that's just a, it's just a good old goody two-shoe. She just thinks she's better than everybody else. Well, they think they're better than this. Oh, watch out. Here comes, here comes the Christian. Here comes the preacher, right? They'll revile you in this way. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's a personal insult to you. Degrading you, trying to diminish you, reducing you to name-calling. It's a personal insult. But there's a second way. He says, notice... And persecute you. That word persecute literally speaks of physical intimidation. So they will arrest you. They will imprison you. They will torture you. They will execute you. They, they'll beat you. Murder. Literally the word. So there's personal insults that we receive when we stand up for the, for the cause of Christ. There's physical intimidation that we receive when we stand up for the cause of Christ. This has certainly been the case throughout church history. This is certainly even the case today. Third, there's this social influence. Notice this phrase. It's the last one in the verse. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. You see that? So they're going to, they're going to drag you to the court and they're going to say things about you falsely. They're going to say evil things Evil is the, tr is the truth twisted. So they're going to say evil things about you falsely for my name's sake. So in these terms, think of, think of the ways in which Christians throughout the years have faced economic pressure. They've had their belongings taken. They've had their land stolen. They've been separated from their families. They've had their livelihood Ruined. They've had their property destroyed. For what reason? Because they named the name of Christ for that reason. Because they've decided to be obedient to God for that reason. Think of even today. Christians who lose their jobs as a result of being obedient to God. So these are the ways in which we suffer. Christians can face persecution in a variety of ways. It isn't just one. It's hatred, it's scorn, it's ridicule. It's, an actual, it's a physical act of violence. It's imprisonment, it's death. But all of this opposition, whether it's severe, whether it's mild, whether it's intense, all of it in a biblical sense is understood as persecution. So what is our response to that? Our response to that must be courageous. That is what Jesus is telling the disciples in Mark 13. Be courageous. Take heed. He's saying pay attention. And be courageous. Last thought here. How to do this. How to suffer well. So reasons we suffer. Ways we suffer. How to suffer well. Let me give you a couple thoughts here. First, when you suffer, when you suffer, remember that suffering does not ultimately create dependence. 
Suffering highlights dependence. When you suffer, it reveals what you are holding on to. Suffering, I think the point for your outline is, when you suffer, your comfort is revealed. Your comfort is revealed. When you go through a hard time, it shows what you're what you're valuing. It shows what you're loving. It shows what you're pursuing. It reveals where your dependency is. We are dependent individuals, whether we recognize this or not. Whether we know it or not. You are dependent on something. And that something or that someone is not always God. And yet that is what God wants for us. God wants for us to always be dependent on Him. And so when we go through suffering, suffering has a way of pulling the curtain back, of showing us what we're really depending on, who we're really trusting in. Are we really trusting in God or are we trusting in ourselves? Are we really trusting in God or are we trusting in the economy? Are we really trusting in God or are we trusting in kings or princes? Are we really trusting in God or are we trusting in some kind of military force? Is our trust really in God? The choir sang, and God we trust. That's the easiest thing to sing. It's the hardest thing to do. Is your trust really on God when you go through a hard season? When you get a bad diagnosis, when the relationship breaks down, when the person walks out, when you, cancer comes back, when the pressure at the office is great? Is your dependence really on God? So when we suffer, we use suffering as a way to remind ourselves, my trust is not in man or man's plans. My trust is in God. It reveals our dependence. So, so being courageous then is a matter of making a decision you say, I want my dependence to be in God. That's what I want. Okay, then you must make the decision to place your dependence on God. You must make the decision. I am placing my dependence in God. And you take my health, you can take my job, you can take relationships, you can take all of these things. But you know what someone can never take from you? Your relationship with God. No man can pluck you out of my hand. That's what God says. So when you suffer... Suffering reveals comfort. Second thought here. When you suffer, be reminded that God is present. He says the Holy Ghost, which we understand is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads you. We began the sermon, Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. The Lord our God is with you. Listen to this phrase, whithersoever. That's a, that's a big word. It's an old word. I get it. But it just simply means wherever you go and wherever you are, God goes with you. Aren't you thankful to know that? Remember, remember how this whole conversation started? The temple, the buildings, the tabernacle, 
the Ark of the Covenant, the, the holy place of God. God meets with us here. No one can overtake this. They were, they were in their thinking, they were going, oh, this is where we have to go in order to get and find God. This is the place God meets us. And Jesus is coming and saying, no, 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 no. I am here with you right now. And when I go away, John 14, I will send another, a comforter who will be with you always. How can Jesus say, I will never leave you and never forsake you? How can he say that and then ascend up into heaven and sit right now at the right hand of the throne of God? The only way he can say that is when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our heart. So no matter where you go, as they run up into, the, into, into Turkey and, and Asia Minor area, as they run up there, God goes with them. As they cut across into northern Africa, God goes with them. As they run down the continent of Africa, God goes with them. As they cut up into Europe, God goes with them. When they go to Rome, God God goes with them. He goes wherever you go. You are never alone because God is with you. Amen. Remember, when you suffer, God is present. This is something that you must be reminded of right now. Should give us great comfort in knowing this. That although we suffer, God is no less omnipotent. God is no less omniscient. It's simply meaning, even though we're suffering, that does not mean that God is somehow diminished in his power or that God is somehow diminished in his knowledge. God knows all. God sees all. God can do all. And God goes with you wherever you go. Look, look at the verse again. He says in verse 11, But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye, but the Holy Ghost. See, one of the reasons why we have a difficult time suffering is because we think ourselves to be strong. We think we have to know all the answers. We think we have to know all the turns that are coming. We think we have to be able to know the road ahead. We think we have to have it all mapped out. How many of you like to have a really good plan? How many of you like to have a good plan? I like to have a good plan. I don't want to go anywhere without a plan. So I like to have a plan. And you suffer, you're reminded, you're reminded this. You're not in control. And I really want to have control. I really like to be in control. And when you suffer, it's God reminding you you're not in control. But even though you and I are not in control, He is. And the reason we, the reason we reject that is because we like to think we are actually in control. But we aren't God. We're simply called to obey him. We're called to follow him. We're called to trust him. Third here. When you suffer, remember, you are not alone. You are not alone. If you know Christ, well, of course, the Holy Spirit of Christ live, lives in you. So you're not alone in that way. But, but I remind you, this, this, is, this is more a relational point. This is more horizontal than vertical. 
So God is present with you. This is a vertical understanding that even though you may physically be alone, you are not actually alone because God is with you. But the other idea here is that you are, you are not alone horizontally, that there have been millions and perhaps even now are millions of Christians who suffer just like you. They've gone through the same things you have gone through. One of the lies that the devil tells us when we go through difficulty is he tells us we are the only ones who have ever gone through this. We're the only one. Nobody else is caring to take a stand. Nobody else is being courageous. Nobody else is loving Jesus. So you might as well just wave the white flag of surrender and you might as well just give up because you are the only one. No, no, no. You are not the only one. That's the lie that the devil tells us in order to make us feel isolated and afraid. Because people who are fearful are easily manipulated and controlled. God is not given a spirit of fear. God is given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So when you suffer, remember that there are faithful Christians all throughout the world who are suffering just like you are. There are believers being beaten and disowned by their families in the Middle East. There are Christians who are being targeted and killed in Kenya and places of Africa. There are churches and Christians meeting underground in China. See, the, the lie that the devil says is there's nobody else doing this except you. No, 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 no. Millions of believers are standing for the cause of Christ all over the world, whether you and I recognize that or not. And that encourages us in a couple ways. It encourages us first in understanding that God's family is really big. It encourages us in a second way of reminding ourselves that God's plan is great. It encourages us third and be reminded that although, although we are weak, God is so strong and he is working his plan according to his own good purpose. Even what I'm facing today or what you are facing today works in the plan of God. I want you to see this verse. Go, go, go back in the Bible. Walk toward the book of Revelation. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. So you've got to get almost to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. So go there. 1 Peter. If you get there, then just walk forward a few, a few pages and you'll find 1 Peter 5. Verse 8 is, the, is a very familiar verse. Be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary. This adversary is the devil. He's like this roaring lion. He's walking about. He's seeking someone to devour. He's looking for those who are alone and afraid and fearful and not courageous. But verse 9, notice this. Most of the time we just read verse 8. We don't read verse 9. But no, notice verse 9. Whom resist? Okay, look here, look here. So you've heard the verse your whole life. There's an adversary, there's a devil, he's out there and he's trying to get you, so you better be watchful. Okay, great, but what else? Well, you need to resist him. 
How do you do that? Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What's one of the ways you resist giving over to fear, finding yourself courageous in the face of difficulty? What's one of the ways Peter tells us we do that? One of the ways we do that is by reminding ourselves that there are brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe who are going through things similar to what we are in, some of them lighter than what we are in, some of them more difficult than what we are in, and they are being strong so we can be strong. That's what he's saying. Jim Elliott was a missionary who was speared to death along with four other missionary friends. They were trying to reach this tribe of indigenous people with the gospel. The tribe did not welcome any outsiders. And they, they thought Jim Elliott and his missionary companions to be demons. And so they ran them through with spears. And Jim's wife's name is Elizabeth. If you've never read any of Elizabeth Elliott's material, I would, I would, I'd commend it to you. It's helpful. Elizabeth, at the time that she received the news that Jim had died... She was caring for their 10-year-old or 10-month-old daughter, Valerie. Elizabeth wrote these words. God's presence is with me, even though Jim's presence is not. This is a terrible but great fact. God's presence does not change. With the terrible news that I am now a widow. No, Jim's absence thrust me into the greater reality of God's presence as my only hope, my only refuge. And I learned in that moment. Who God is. Elizabeth would marry again a few years later. Only to lose her second husband after four months of marriage. To cancer. Some people are called to suffer more than others. And perhaps that's your situation. Be courageous. You are not alone. Her testimony reminds me of the Apostle Paul's testimony who endured sorrow after sorrow with great joy. He had an enduring faith, shipwrecked, beaten, snake-bitten, Abandoned, rejected, hated, left for dead. But God was with him. Let me give you two more thoughts here. First or, or last. When you suffer, the church grows. Persecution always results in growth. 
because persecution removes the dead weight from the church. It, it, it filters out those who are not truly following Christ. They're simply culturally and comfortably going after what they feel to be profitable to them in the moment. The Bible teaches that there are tares among the wheat, the easiest ways to get, to get rid of the tares. The easiest way to get, to get rid of the weeds is to call the church to suffer a price for following Christ. And the weeds leave. Because they aren't truly committed to Christ in the first place. Persecution purifies the church in this way. This is what happens oftentimes when difficulty comes. I spent this past week with some family, all of my brothers and my sister, they, we all serve in ministries. We were talking ministry talk. We were talking COVID restrictions and all these sorts of things. And I said, well, COVID was a funny thing because I feel like for us as a church, COVID broadened our base, but it reduced, um, COVID broadened our base, but it, but it reduced those who were just, they were coming casually. If someone was not looking for, if someone was looking for a reason to not come, COVID gave someone a reason to not come. And if you really knew that you were committed to come to church, to study God's word, to fellowship with God's people, to sing his praises, because this is what the word of God teaches us to do, regardless of time or age or phase or place, then you, you, you say, I, I got to get to God's people. I got to be in God's house. I got to go to church. This is, what, this, was, this, is, this is my interpretation of what happened in our church for the last two and a half years. Our, bra our base broadened. Some of you, you weren't even coming to this church before COVID. But you came to this church because we were meeting during COVID. We were doing it carefully and we were doing it wisely. And we had great recommendation and great help. But this is why you came. Because you believed that this was an important thing to do. And we hope that you found a place where we are committed not to ourselves, but we are committed to God and his word. Striving to be obedient to him. But there were some. It was not culturally acceptable to go to church anymore. So guess what? They were not going to go to church. The persecution always brings growth. Rome thought they could just cut the head off of Christianity. And they only caused Christianity to flourish. Well, last one, when you suffer, the gospel advances. This is what's happening here. This is what Jesus is saying to them. He is saying the gospel, verse 10, the gospel must first be published among all the nations. Can I just tell you this, friend? Let me tell you why you can suffer. You can suffer because Christ suffered for you. There is no persecution that you will face or that I will face in this life. There is no difficulty that you and I will face in this life that is greater than what Christ faced for us when he took our sin, our death, our judgment, our hell upon himself on the cross. Christ suffered in our place so that even though we may suffer, even though we go through difficulty, even though we go through hard times, we are reminded that God goes with us.